Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Piki mai, kake mai, and welcome to Our Changing World. From Radio New Zealand National. Now on Our Changing World... Earlier this week, the government released the National Statement of Science Investment, a document that sets out a 10-year vision for the science system and a strategic direction to guide future investment. New Zealand spends less money on research relative to its size than three quarters of all countries in the OECD, and the government is considering expanding public funding to narrow this gap. Veronica asks Adam Jaffe, the Director of Motu Economic and Public Policy Research, to respond to the strategy and to discuss his latest research on the Marsden Fund. I think the key point is that the NSSI does say that the government has an intention to increase the public funding of science significantly to eight-tenths of a percent of GDP if fiscal conditions permit. That's a big just, caveat to start That's with. a big caveat, but first, just to give you a sense of what that means, we're currently at about 0.5%, so that would be quite a significant increase if they actually did it. Uh, but the caveat, if fiscal conditions permit, means we don't quite know if or when it's going to happen, and the current government seems to be quite focused on balancing the overall budget, so that if they're going to maintain that, that would mean they would have to find the money from somewhere. Uh, what's unfortunate about that is that I think the evidence, both uh, internationally and to some extent from New Zealand, is that the return on an investment in increased science would be very significant for New Zealand. So, so it could help balance the budget in a way. Eventually, you know, it's certainly, whether or not it would help balance the budget, it would certainly be on balance a good thing for New Zealand, whether or not the budget is balanced. So in some sense, conditioning that on achieving a budget surplus from an economic perspective doesn't really make sense. If the return is high, you'd like to make that investment, even if you have to borrow money to do it, because the return is going to be there. So I think the question that a lot of people are going to be asking is, with that caveat, uh, how serious is their commitment to really um, building up the investment in science? Now, I wouldn't advocate a crash program to, you know, like increase by 25% in a year or two because the system couldn't absorb that anyway. In terms of logistics alone and Yeah, in terms of finding people. the right people and expanding the facilities. What you want to do is you want to commit to a long-term gradual increase to say something like we're going to increase funding by uh, 5% over inflation every year for the next 10 years or something like that. That would be the kind of program that would really uh, build the infrastructure and build the system in New Zealand uh, to support the kind of uh, needs we have for science. And to eventually reap the benefits of that investment. And eventually reap the benefits in terms of economic growth, in terms of uh, being able to better plan for the environment and, and health and other policy objectives. All of those things are dependent on knowledge, and knowledge comes from study, from research. You've 
just looked specifically at the Marston Fund, so let's perhaps yes. visit that briefly to explain what you found. Marston Fund, if I could start with just the oversubscription rate that it perennially has, only around 7%, certainly less than 10% right. are so ever they, funded. So they, they fund about 7 or 8% of the proposals that they receive. Now, in looking at that statistic, it's important to keep in mind that to to write an initial proposal, uh, it's just a one-page proposal. So when you have a very easy proposal, you're going to tend to get a lot of proposals. So in some sense, that low uh, percentage rate is uh, not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing. I think a more relevant statistic would be something like if you look at relative to the size of our economy, how much money the roughly $60 million invested in the Marston Fund each year is compared to what other countries invest in investigator-led sort of blue-sky research, it's quite low. Uh, a lot lower? Do you have a Well, it's something like two-thirds of what the United States spends. Relative, obviously, they spend much, much more. But relative to the size of the economy, it's a half or two-thirds of what they're spending. And this is specifically the blue-sky research yes. funds, so yes. basic fundamental research. Right. So your first finding would be that putting more money into something like the Marston right. Fund so, would be worthwhile? So based on just what we understand as economists about basic research, one would think that investing more in that would be beneficial for New Zealand. Now, you'd want to ask the question, but does it really work? When you, when you spend money on this, do you actually get more science? Are the, is the program effective? And that's what the Mode 2 study that we released last week looked at. Uh, to the Marsden Fund's credit, they have for quite some time kept very good records on the people who've applied and uh, both the people who were funded and the people who made it to the final round but were not funded. Uh, and they kept track of the internal evaluations that these different proposals were given. And so having those data allows us statistically then to ask the question of whether were the researchers who were funded more productive as a result of the funding than they would otherwise been? And we found the answer was yes. They produced more publications, and the publications that they produced were more highly cited by other papers, which indicates that they had more scientific impact. By how um, much is it? How significant is it? Well, it depends on exactly which statistical model you look at, but it's something on the order of 10 to 15 percent more publications and 20 or 25 percent more citations. So it's not doubling or tripling, but that's, you know, that's a significant increase in terms of having an impact. Remember, the Marsden grants are, by scientific terms, relatively small. They're on the order of $300,000 a year for three years, which, while that's a lot of money to you and me, for, for scientific research, that's actually a relatively small uh, research grants, so it would be unreasonable to expect it to be, you know, Tripling hugely increasing yeah. the output. Yeah. You've looked at the two different types of Marston grants as well, the fast start, which yes. is shorter, but same amount of money per year. No, it's actually less. So the fast start proposals are only available to researchers within eight years of their PhD. And when you compete for a fast start proposal, you're only competing against other fast start proposers. So it's a way to try to give young people who might have trouble competing against more senior researchers a, a pathway to funding. 
and the success rate is somewhat higher for fast start proposals. It's still pretty low, but it's a little higher. What we found was that the fast start proposals, the people who receive fast start funding, do do better as a result of that funding, and the effect seems to be about the same magnitude as for the uh, more senior researchers. So since they are smaller grants, um, in some sense that suggests that they are very cost effective. The other thing you looked at too is in the second round, so after the culling of proposals in the first step, then you have still a significant number of people in the second round. They then submit a much more comprehensive proposal. That's so this right. is where the care goes into the proposal. That's right. So the and selection those, process then, how well does that do right. in actually picking so they the write a, they write a more complete proposal, and the proposals are sent to uh, external reviewers, typically people overseas who are experts in the field, who write written evaluations of the proposals. And then those evaluations come back, and the proposers are given a chance to respond to the comments, and then the panel at the Marsden Fund reviews all of that information and ranks the proposals from what they think are the most, the highest potential to the lowest potential. And what we found, surprisingly to us, was that while the funding does seem to increase uh, performance as we measured it, there doesn't seem to be any relationship between the ranking provided by these panels and the proposal subsequent performance or the performance of the researchers. Um, so what it seems is that uh, once you've called out in the first round, say 60% of the proposals, and you're looking at the 25 to 40% in the second round that you already think are the best, it's just very hard to distinguish among them. They're, they're very similar, frankly, in terms of their potential. And further, the the Marsden panels are pretty broad. They're, they're not looking at researchers who are all working on sort of related topics. They're comparing, you know, biochemists to chemists, and they're comparing economists to psychologists. And that really is kind of an apples and oranges sort of comparison. So in the end, maybe it's not that surprising that they don't seem to be meaningfully distinguishing among the proposals that they receive in the second stage. Would that not mean that just giving more money to the Marsden, funding more of those proposals to get into the second round would be beneficial? Yes. If they can't yes. quite so if, decide, you know, which are really the best, if exactly. they're all good, then so why if not they, them all? If they were distinguishing well, that would suggest that if you gave more money, they would have to give it to proposals that were less meritorious than the ones that are getting it now because they had already identified those as less uh, likely to, to succeed. The fact that they actually are not distinguishing successfully, while in a sense might seem um, like a negative finding in terms of the panel's efforts, it's a very positive finding in the sense that what it means is, as you say, if you did give them more money, you wouldn't have to worry that it was going to inferior proposals. In fact, they have, uh, it appears, twice as many or more than twice as many uh, proposals which are as good as the ones that they funded. So uh, worthwhile getting So you a could grant. double the money and you would still be funding proposals which are as good as the ones that, that are being funded now. To me, having spoken to a number of unsuccessful um, Marston applicants... And you're speaking to one right now, actually. <laughs> 
Here you go. So to me, it seems that even the cutoff point into the second round can be random. There are still proposals that don't even get that far that would be worth funding. So how would you how would you suggest to improve the system? So we didn't study that specifically, but it is almost surely true because the first round is based only on a one-page proposal, which is reviewed, and there's a large number of them. So it would be very surprising if there weren't mistakes in some sense that were being made at that stage. Or just I, simple necessity. You have so much necessity. money, yes. so you have to cut off right. somewhere, and there's you know, good proposals left on the other side of that cut. That's right. So I think it would be worthwhile to look at the first round to some degree in the same way we looked at the second round and to try to identify uh, what fraction of the proposals that are being kicked out in the first stage appear to be actually meritorious. So there could be some adjustment in the first round process. That's a study that could be done. It would require some resources because it takes time and effort to track down all the publications and citations of all of the researchers. So I think if we did do more analysis of the first round so we could figure out how to potentially uh, do a better job in the first round in finding the, the set of proposals which in some sense are worthy of funding, I think our findings do suggest that perhaps in the second round or at some point once you've called the proposals so you're down to the ones that you think are probably good proposals, I think our findings suggest trying to differentiate further among those is not a very useful activity. So I think at some point it would make sense to think about just a lottery and say if we have more good proposals than we can afford to fund, Let's just, uh, you know, draw numbers and fund them randomly. It may seem arbitrary, but it's no less arbitrary than spending a lot of time and effort trying to do a finer cut that in the end doesn't actually do any better than a lottery, but consumes a lot of people's time and effort along the way. On another example of how one could increase the investment in science, you've also looked at R&D in businesses. Yes. We're in New Zealand also underperforms compared to other countries yes. within the OECD. In fact, our investment by businesses in R&D is even lower relative to international standards than our investment in science. So that is a concern. Um, and the government does have a number of programs designed to encourage firms to invest in research, including um, uh, co-funded direct grant programs where firms propose research they would like to do and they pay a portion of the cost, but the government um, pays a portion of the cost. And Motu did do a study, which we released uh, a few weeks ago, trying to see whether those programs are effective. Now that's a little different because you're not trying, you're not expecting firms to publish scientific papers, so that's not how you measure whether it was successful. We used a survey that's conducted by Statistics New Zealand where firms are asked to report on their innovative activities? Did they introduce a new product in the last year? And if so, was it new to New Zealand or new to the world or just new for them? Was it a new product or a new process and so forth? And what we found was that if you compare firms that receive government funding to other firms that are essentially similar but did not receive funding, and we use statistical methods to try to identify similar in that context, we did find that there was a significant increase in their reported 
rates of innovation. Now, we don't quite know what that means because it's just an answer to a questionnaire. It doesn't mean that anybody made any money off of it or any jobs were created. We don't really know. Um, and so further work is probably needed there. But it's the kind of analysis we really should be doing across the board to try to determine as much as possible which of these programs are most effective. If we're going to increase our investment, let's try to do it in a way that's based on evidence as to which kinds of government programs are most likely to have the impacts that we're looking for. Is there anything else in the NSSI that um, is relevant to this very question? Well, I think it is important. The NSSI does talk about systematic evaluation of these programs and an effort one of the problems that we have is that the government has not historically really collected in a systematic way the baseline information on who is being funded to do what by government research, which is essentially the minimum that you need to do any of this evaluation. And the Ministry for Business, Innovation, and Employment is, has launched an effort to construct uh, that database in a systematic way, working together with other agencies and Statistics New Zealand. And that effort is described in the NSSI, and I think that's extremely important. I worry it's the kind of thing that is frequently launched and not always completed, so I think it'll be important to, to watch that and make sure that we keep with it. It's something that it's hard for government agencies to do because the benefits are years off in the future. You know, you can't tell the minister that this is going to help him get reelected, you know, in the next election because what it's going to do is help us make better decisions in 2020. But I think, you know, they are on the right track and they've indicated a commitment to doing this more systematic evaluation. And I think that's a very good thing. We just need to make sure it really happens. And that was Adam Jaffe, the director of MOTU. And you can find many more comments on the NSSI document and the findings about the Marston Fund on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.